Welcome to the EMCC UK podcast, Internal Coaching Supervision Series. In this episode, our hosts, Catherine St. Jim Brooks and Jeremy Gom will be exploring internal coaching supervision with experienced coach, supervisor, speaker, and author, Sam Isaacson. This episode was originally recorded in 2022, when Sam was the head of coaching services at Grant Thornton. Sam has since gone on to hold the role of Global Director of Consulting with the digital coaching platform CoachHub, and is now a coaching consultant with CoachTeach, as well as a successful author of a number of books on technology in coaching. In this episode, you'll hear Catherine and Jeremy continue their discussion of different definitions of coaching supervision and how organisations can learn from the insights which emerge from internal coaching supervision. Followed by Sam sharing Grant Thornton's approach to supervision of their internal coaches. And welcome to Internal Coaching Supervision with Jeremy Gom and me, Catherine Sinjin Brooks. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. Well, I'm as pleased as you are that we have Sam Isaacson as our guest today. Uh, Sam is Head of Coaching Services at the professional services company Grant Thornton. But I've also just um, ordered his book, actually, um, How to Thrive as a Coach in a Digital World. Uh, it's been on my list for ages and um, I finally got to it. Well, Sam will also be one of the workshop speakers at this year's International Internal Coaching Conference. So I'm really looking forward to hearing his thoughts on internal supervision. Uh, but first, we promise to highlight what is meant by the words coaching supervision by introducing some definitions. And we had yours uh, in, the, in a previous podcast. And so here's one I like, and it's from Eric Dehaan. Supervision gives the coach a regular time and space for reflection and a partner to mirror, broaden, and deepen those reflections. So what, what do you particularly like about this one, Jeremy? Well, the, firstly, it's short, uh, which is definitely a benefit. Secondly, it focuses on reflection, which I feel is the single most important thing about supervision. And thirdly, it's quite high level, so it doesn't make any attempt to specify the nature of the reflection, and that allows it to be as broad as you want. It also recognises the role of the supervisor, and again, without being specific. Uh, and again, that allows the role of the supervisor to be what it needs to be in the in the moment. So what do you think about it? Well, I do like this definition very much, um, particularly, as you mentioned, the way it highlights the role of the supervisor. Um, but I know you and I have discussed before, haven't we, about how short definitions, which, which both of us basically prefer, necessarily have to leave out one or more aspects of supervision. I mean, I'm a practical soul and I would have liked there to be something about coach development in there, but you can't have everything. We were thinking, I think, weren't we, that next time we might ask our guests to offer the definition that they work to in their organisation. I think that could work really well. Meanwhile, of course, you and I have been talking about how organisations can learn from their coach supervisors and coach supervision sessions. And I wondered if you had any examples of 
organisations doing that? Well, only one, I'm afraid. Um, I've, I've heard people mentioning their organisational learning from coaching, but only in one organisation, a UK charity, have I seen a purposeful attempt to learn from supervision. I was one of, of a small group of external supervisors who were asked to share themes from their conversations with uh, internal coaches in that charity. Uh, those themes were then being taken up and uh, used as guidance for action. But even then, I can't say for sure how that learning was applied. Yeah. Well, how about I, you? I, I, sorry, go on. I was going to say, how about you? Yeah, well, I, I've got a couple of positive examples from about five years ago, though I don't know if they're still doing it. Uh, one was a charity where the themes coming up in supervision groups informed, I think it was the, the training and support that was offered to employees through the organisation. Uh, and another one was a consultancy firm. And there the coaches reported in more than one supervision group about simmering anger that they'd picked up from their clients uh, about the vanishingly small number of women who'd been made partner in a recent round of promotions. And the head of coaching did report this back to the senior partner who did take notice. Ooh, now Sam has joined us. Sam, welcome. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Jeremy. Great to be here. Do you have any comments on what Jeremy and I were just talking about, um, both from your experience of how supervision works within Grant Thornton, but also what you've seen in client organisations? I mean, is organisational learning routinely gathered? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably fair to say that uh, it's more common for it not to be than for it to be collected. Um, mm -hmm. I think supervision is a great tool to do that through you know you send out an employee engagement survey or something like that and you find out some information but it's um it's quite narrow in its um application whereas coaching you know those conversations that are happening in coaching are so rich you know they really get into what are people experiencing and feeling and thinking about the organization so that sense of getting a the organizational pulse to do that through supervision to be able to gather those stories at an aggregate level and so it remains confidential to the people that have been telling them um, and being able to report those back uh, can be very valuable so within grant thornton i'm one of our coaching supervisors and we meet with our internal business school once a quarter or so to share any themes that have emerged across all of our different supervision uh, groups that we've been running Again, that question, uh, Jeremy, the comment that you made around, you know, how is that learning applied? Mm. Uh, I'm not, I'm not too sure to be honest. I think when we're uh, when we're drawing out themes that are quite specific to coaching, you know, what does a coaching process look like, or what's a coaching needs analysis form doing, and how helpful is it? That certainly gets generates some sort of change. But when there's a comment around, I don't know, work life balance or uh, progression. I'm not, I can't tell you what happens with those messages. So maybe that's a question I should go and ask. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be very interesting to find out whether it has any impact at all at a senior level. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know that coaching is thought of very highly uh, within the firm. Um, and I'm not sure what those escalation channels look like. You know, if you get a story that says we're detecting that there's a I don't know, you know, there's a sense that women are not being treated fairly in the promotion rounds. What's 
what happens with that message and how is it received and you know what, how are people held to account for those messages that are being reported up which like i say feels like a really good opportunity for the any organization to actually see what's happening in its people so i mean i like grant thornton and so i'm sure they do a really good thing with it but i'm just not sure exactly what it is <laughs> okay. well uh, thank you very much for that, uh, Sam. That's uh, that's really quite insightful, um, particularly given Grant Thornton's reputation for being at the forefront of internal coaching in the UK. Uh, it, it's always my example. Grant Thornton is always my example of if you want to know how it's done properly, go to go there because that you know you've got the stories that uh, that I think other people could learn a lot from. So, how's that come about in Grant Thornton? Where did it all start, and what's coming next? Uh, yes. Well, I mean, the story is quite a long one. <laughs> it probably started about 12 years ago now or so. Um, I'm not sure if this was the specific driver that started the story or if it just happened at around about the same time. There were certainly a lot of conversations happening around 2011 about the automation of certain jobs. So I think Oxford University did a, a piece of research which concluded that something like 95% of jobs in accounting would be fully automated within 30 years or something like that, which led a number of people in the world of accounting to think, well, we need to do something about this to protect our jobs, yeah. which feels like quite an odd thought, but let's just park that for a moment. And a number of accounting firms responded to that by thinking okay we need to move heavily into digitization if we can start to automate the processes ourselves then it protects the firm and that's a priority um, discuss that the other approach the approach that grant thornton took was yeah we'll look at digital and that's an important thing you know our clients need it and want it so that's sensible but the thing that's going to make us stand out as being different is our people and so we're going to invest heavily in our people to make the experience of working with Grant Thornton so uniquely different from any other accounting firm that why on earth would you opt for a fully automated method when you've got the opportunity of working with you know real humans and the way that that was then applied was through an NLP practitioner program that was rolled out to the top 200 leaders in the UK starting from CEO down so it was really you know high level of buy-in from that top level uh, which is a really good driver for culture change and over a few years you know there were ups and downs in that journey but that program developed into a coach development program which started from a outsourced provider and then got brought in-house and then we took that through the EQA uh, accreditation process with the EMCC which led to us then having a, a large number of accredited coaches within the firm and the only driver behind that was as a a real desire for change in leadership style so the accounting world is like many others where you tend to get promoted based on your technical competence rather than your ability to lead um, and so it was a change in leadership style to well allow leaders give them permission to ask more questions than providing advice um, it helps with conversations with clients as well as a consulting firm it's good to be able to ask those questions of a client and discover information rather than trying to drive through some agenda that what that developed into was um, a, a fully fledged um, quality control and assurance continuously improving ecosystem around coaching which included you know the purpose for coaching development of the internal coach pool 
delivery of the coaching and kind of quality assurance and monitoring and that led to us getting the emcc global award for having a great organizational approach to coaching in 2020 and so that was something good to celebrate uh something that's probably quite important to note alongside that was that now that we got all of these coaches in place we're a professional services firm and so we want to do something with those people's time um, and so we partnered with Cranfield Business School to offer executive coaching as part of their MBA program so that we were then using our coaches as part of a, a revenue generation approach as well and that was, that was very uh, popular um, and then because our clients were interested in the whole world of working with the programs like the MBA, they work very well because they can be funded by the apprenticeship levy. We were working with them from a tax perspective in terms of how to um, how to use that levy money wisely. And that combination of our clients being interested in apprenticeship and in emerging coaching styles of leadership and our passion for coaching and knowledge of the apprenticeships world led to us uh, starting the coaching apprenticeship trailblazer. And so that's the that's the, the thing, I suppose, that we're then best known for mm. nowadays. Wow, that's quite a history. Uh, and uh, in the middle of all that history, how did the, how, all your coaches uh, are employees, aren't they, of doing other, other roles? There, there are no full-time coaches in, in uh, Grant Thornton. That's right, yes. So I suppose a point of clarity, we do use some external coaches, when there's a specific need particularly around um people going through the partner process or if there are particular sensitive uh coaching needs where we feel like it would be more sensible to have somebody from outside the firm or if there's a particular specialist interest that we can't source in-house because we're not kind of career coaches as a general rule we're accountants or tax advisors or somebody else who's a coach on the side um, but yeah, our approach is that we've got an, an internal coach pool of people who have got a, you know, a real job and then they do coaching as well. It's tremendous. Right. Well, and thank you. And how many coaches do you have now? Uh, the number is always, always changing. Let's say it's about 150 or so um, in the UK. I mean, that, that's, that's a lot of coaches to, to manage, to match, to just the administration of that number of coaches is quite a big exercise, I imagine. Oh, uh, yes, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's very good, you know, because a lot of it happens uh, by itself because it's internal people and it's, it's senior internal people, actually, there isn't that sense of, or I don't feel it anyway, there isn't that sense of constantly chasing. So the, actually there's the impetus is with the, those individuals so i was actually i was having a conversation with a client not too long ago where we'd had this initial conversation around uh, well, which coaches would we match and i said oh you know it'll be i don't know you know fiona and alex and george i'll send you their email addresses and then we can just send those to the coaches and they can go off and have their conversations and the client was quite surprised and thought well, why why wouldn't you want to be involved in the matching process and then make sure that those meetings are happening and i think well the for another coaching provider because they're most likely an independent coach and so there's a, a risk associated with using that individual for us that's that's three partners in our firm you know it's in why on mm. earth would they sabotage our process for their own <laughs> selfish yeah. gain you know, it, it, it doesn't really work like that so 
it, that is that's helped a lot in terms of buy-in and I suppose you know the ability to uh, to keep it moving. I bet it has. And so, with that many coaches, um, tell us a bit about your arrangements for supervision. Yes. Yeah, so um, when we first introduced the coaching, then we used external supervision, um, which was successful in some cases and not so successful in others for a, a variety of different reasons, mainly probably to do with just a lack of understanding as to what supervision was meant to be achieving. Um, and then a few years ago, then there was a, a cohort of us got trained as coaching supervisors and there's since been a second cohort that's gone through. So we've probably got 15 or 20 trained supervisors in-house now. Um, and as a general rule, all of our coaches are then supervised by that group. Um, there's one exception. We've got one person who works with us from an external perspective who was with the firm for a long time, actually, before she went um, independent. And and she supervises particular coaches for particular reasons, which is not very interesting, to be honest. But as a group, then we do the supervision, which happens as a general rule, once a quarter in groups of three or four. Um, and then those coaches, sorry, those supervisors then also meet each other in small groups um, to supervise one another so that we've got that right. sort of peer supervision group going. And then... I want to say it's once every six months, but it feels actually like it's more often than that. Maybe it's once a quarter that we have an external supervisor of supervision who sort of gives us the independent kicking the tires. And that happens. It feels like we do a lot of meetings around this where we have our supervision groups. We have our peer supervision. We have the meetings with the business school, which is at least once a quarter. It must be once every six months. We have this external supervisor and then we also have a peer supervisor moan, you know, where all of the supervisors get together <laughs> and just talk about yeah. what it's like being a supervisor, but the business school aren't present or they're not present in their capacity as the business school. One of them actually is one of the supervisors, but, you know, it's got a different hat on for that. Um, so yeah, there's quite a lot of activity that goes on. I suppose. Clearly, yes. Um, and I mean, you mentioned that the supervision groups might be three or four people. Do you manage to keep those groups the same, the same membership of each of the three or four people groups? You know, there's a lot of stuff in the research of, around supervision of the importance of a safe space and people getting to know each other so that they feel that they can, uh, you know, reveal their vulnerabilities and so forth. Um, mm. Do you manage to keep those individual groups stable? As, as a general rule, yes. I mean, I think it, with the population the size that it is, then there's a natural turnover. And so people do leave the yeah. firm and um, more coaches are getting developed um, continuously. The groups are formed while the, group, while the coaches are on their coach development programs and then That's stay the good. same afterwards. They're trained so, together. Yes. So I know there's a case to be made for having coaches have different levels of experience in a group and so you sort of have that reminder of what it's like to be an early coach and being prompted on some of the i was going to use the word basic and that's not really the right word is it but more fundamental um aspects of coaching and having the foundational level coaches seeing what's happening for somebody who's been a coach for five ten years but i suppose for logistical purposes we've gone for just keeping those groups as consistent as possible and then when there is 
a group where a couple of people have left and so it's just becoming inefficient, then we do a review. It's, uh, the review happens once a year, but it's not like every group changes. It's only the ones that need right. to. Right. And if somebody does want one-to-one supervision, can they, can they make that happen? Yeah, so the recommendation is that every coach has uh, supervision once a quarter and that once a year you should have one-to-one supervision, but that's not mandatory. And we mm. expect coaches to attend three out of four. Okay. And do, do you monitor it, whether people are showing up or not? Uh, no, we don't actually. No. I mean, it's monitored informally in that the supervisor, if... Um, so I'm trying to make names up off the top of my head. I'm not very good at that. So I'll just use Catherine. If Catherine hasn't uh, turned up yeah. at my group, you uh-huh. know, th- three sessions in a row, then that's the sort of thing that I would report to business school. Either, I mean, would you um, give me a ring and take it up with me or would you? Oh, well, yes. You know, if you haven't turned up, I'll tend to, especially if you've not um, given me a reason, then I'll just find out, you know, what's, is everything all right? Do you, do you not want to be a coach anymore? Because that, you know, it's valid. It's not part of your mm. day job. Um, and then, yeah, if it's something where I feel like somebody seems to be going AWOL and, uh, you know, I'm not really sure what to do, then at least telling the business school feels like a good next step. What do you know about the EMCC UK member benefits? There are so many reasons to join the EMCC UK. In any one year, you can expect to have access to over 100 events, networking opportunities, CPD, special interest groups, a dedicated programme to building your own business, as well as links to the EMCC Global and their events, discounts on books and magazines, and much, much more. Contact info at emccuk.org where our friendly administration team will be on hand to help. Alternatively, visit the EMCC UK website and join today. It sounds like uh, supervision is absolutely integral to, to the coaching that goes on in Grant Thornton, which is really great to hear because it so often is not even present in, uh, in other organisations. Um, I'm just wondering, you mentioned the um, apprenticeship scheme uh, and it, you, your chairman, as I know, of that uh, it's coaching professional level fives NIP, apprenticeship scheme. Um, yeah, right. I wonder how, uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about that so that the listeners understand what that is and um, to what extent uh, or in what way has it, has it influenced your thinking about internal supervision? Mm, well, so yeah i'm chair of the trailblazer group that developed it in the first place and i sort of retain that role for when there needs to be a revision of it which i'm sure will happen at some point um and it's simultaneously probably the most exciting and the most dull uh professional activity i've ever engaged in really it's (laughs) it's a group of more than a hundred employers of coaches and the big professional bodies um plus a, um, a number of training providers um, which is a challenging group to chair, as well as having the Institute for Apprenticeships in there, which, uh, if anything is true, the, the idea that, that that world thinks very differently from the world of coaching, that's an important message to take away. So the fact that we got it through is um, a minor miracle, I think. Um, so, it, yes, it's very... It's a really good standard. Um, and for those listeners that don't know, the organisations that employ 
people where there's a large wage bill have to pay a proportion of that into the apprenticeship levy, which they can then draw down on to fund apprenticeship programs. So it's a good, it ends up being a cost-effective way of doing training after you've sort of made the payment. It's a certain cost. Um, and if you don't pay into the levy, then you're able to get those same programs at only 5% of whatever the cost is. So the coaching professional apprenticeship standard has got a budget of £5,000. So unsurprisingly, every training provider charges £5,000 for it. And so if you're um, not a, a levy payer, then you can get a full 14-month level 5 accredited coach development program for Oh gosh, I work in an accounting firm and I can't work out 5%, what, £250? <laughs> which which is you know very good value, yeah, isn't absolutely. it? So so it's it's a very um it's a very cost effective way of training people to be coaches. And if you've already spent this money on the levy, you probably want to spend it anyway. And so organizations are actually driven to want to train people as coaches, which I think is a good thing. And the fact that we've had the ILM and the CMI, the ICF, EMCC and Association for Coaching and British School of Psychology, I mean, lots of different um, bodies involved in the development of this standard and have agreed that it's a good thing, means that actually the level of the sort of baseline level of quality you get for somebody who's on that apprenticeship is very good. Um, it's, it's significantly higher than anything else out there that's certainly that's of a similar price of, you know, very low. Um, and supervision is something that we wanted to include in there as a fundamental part of it. You know, obviously, it's very important for the professional bodies and it's good practice anyway, and it's a sensible thing. And particularly as an organization, if you're employing people to be doing that uh, in their role, then you've got a duty of care to make sure that they're doing it professionally and that they're cared for throughout the process. Um, the... There's a practical element to it in that we had a bit of a conversation as part of the development of the standard to question whether we should require those coaches, the people who are being trained as coaches through that program, to have to be supervised by an accredited supervisor. Gosh, that was a long sentence, wasn't it? I had to think about every word I was saying. Um, and uh, the conclusion that we drew is that actually the, the level, the supply and demand would get, topple quite quickly in the wrong direction, meaning that people wouldn't be able to receive supervision. And so in order to be pragmatic, then we had to go down the route of just saying, you know, we recognize that accreditation is there and clearly valuing the role that professional bodies have to play. I mean, you can't escape from that in the standard if you read it, um, but that actually the act of being supervised, including things like peer supervision, even though it's, it, it hasn't got that same quality assurance uh, management around it yeah. um, is still important to be engaging in that sort of thing. So when you think about where they go from the apprenticeship scheme in, into their organisations, how do you know that that supervision continues? Well, that's the responsibility of the employers when, when I think if somebody is, I, I know that as much as I say the apprenticeship scheme, there isn't a financial cost associated with it, and there isn't, there is a time cost. Mm -hmm. So in order for it to qualify as an apprenticeship, those learners have to, they have to be in a role which is uh, aligned to the, uh, the apprenticeship. So they have to be a coach as their job. And they have to spend 20% of their time during the apprenticeship in off-the-job training. So it's, it is quite a big investment of time, mm. really. 
um, which is worth it, of course, because if, if you want to have coaches working in your organization, then why wouldn't you use that as the option? It does mean that if you're an organization that wants to invest that amount of time and those people in doing those roles, you ought to then be thinking about, well, what do we need to have set up as an organization to allow this to continue to flourish? We can't just have yeah. a bunch of coaches just going off and yeah. running things the way that they would like to. Um, and the fact that the apprentices have gone through that program and have learned that this is what they should be doing means that there's that sort of top-down and bottom-up driver uh, at the same time. And particularly if they're taking it through to accreditation, which they all really ought to from a good practice perspective. And I'm not sure that why they wouldn't just from a logical perspective, you put all this effort in, why wouldn't you want the bit of paper at the end? Um, they're going to have to maintain that supervision somehow. And it seems sensible to me that if the employer has put them forward to be doing that in the first place, that they would be taking responsibility for it. So, yes. Mm, I mean, that's a, a demonstration of the enlightened view that exists in Grant Thornton uh, and that you would hope existed elsewhere. And I'm just wondering if there's anything from the Grant Thornton experience which could illustrate the benefits of supervision for the, for the internal coaches? Um, I think probably the biggest benefit uh, is, is actually for the coaches themselves, which I know feels a little bit self-referential. And so, it, you know, it doesn't feel like it justifies it very well, but it does matter because if as an organization you're wanting to, as Grant Thornton has said, you want to develop a coaching culture and want to have coaching as our leadership mindset or default mindset across the firm, if the coaches aren't that bothered about it or because of the stresses of the day job, just keep forgetting that this is what I'm meant to be doing, then that doesn't, it just means you've spent money or invested time in this program and on what? You know, on people to have had a nice pleasant time and I know that we do it online now, but, you know, we, we used to do it. You know, you'd go off site, you spend the night somewhere. It'd be a nice experience, but turns into nothing. Well, what a waste of time. Mm. However, if you put the supervision in, it means that for us, you know, once a quarter, I know I've got to have a conversation with my supervisor when I reflect on the way that I've been applying coaching skills in the way that I lead my team or the way that I do performance reviews or, of course, through our coaching engagements you know more formal coaching engagements that are going to be happen and often then there are coaches that turn up to those supervision sessions where they'll say oh i haven't been doing much coaching and it gives them a bit of an awkward moment where we have a little conversation about it and they reflect about it and then in three months time they have to come back for another conversation about it so even if in two and a half months time they still haven't done anything and they go oh i really should do something i'll at least prompt a new conversation with somebody that's going to be positive then you know then we're getting some sort of benefit from it and of course as you then go through it that sort of conscious incompetence leads through to ultimately unconscious competence and that's that's kind of where we're hoping to get one day as a firm it's continuously learning isn't it so oh yes that I, what that sounds like is a is is a real benefit for the coaches themselves um and in a, an organizational sense, it helps them to maintain the momentum of their of their coaching. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's anything more than that. You mentioned that you uh, had conversations as a group of super supervisors and wondered what happened to some of the information that went from there. Is there anything else about the 
quality of the, of the coaching that the organization recognizes that supervision maintains or adds to? Well, I think the other thing that happens is that I suppose it's quite easy to then juxtapose it against what we see in other organizations. Coaching as a general rule tends to be led from, I'll call it L&D. I think, you know, it'd have different names in different places, but that's people know what I'm talking about, I think, you know, so it sits in L&D. There's a particularly passionate person who sits in that team and they like coaching. And so coaching happens. And maybe it's that that person leaves or maybe that there's just a hard time for the organization. So things are needing to move around. And coaching is just seen as this thing that happens in the background that's quite annoying and just takes people's time up. And the people who really get the business don't need to be bothering with all of that you know, soft, fluffy stuff. And at Grant Thornton, that isn't really an option because with... So I'm just trying to kind of run through the list in my head. I think it's only one exception. Yeah, I think it's only one exception. Everybody else is not in the business school, as far as supervisors are concerned. Sorry. So one of our supervisors is in business school, and the rest of them all are senior people, perhaps in client-facing roles, and so they're business consulting director or something like that. Or you know, I had London head of audit is one of our coaching supervisors uh, the UK head of risk a partner in the firm she's one of our coaching supervisors and so in terms of just ownership of what coaching should look like in our firm is mm. it's it's out there and you've got that continual checkpoint that keeps people accountable for it and improves that quality and and it isn't just sort of from the textbook of and so this sounds quite disparaging. I don't intend it to, but you know, somebody from L and D who doesn't get the business—that's the perception, isn't it? Sometimes, come and sit down for these conversations about this thing that has only ever existed for you in a textbook. Well, you haven't got that excuse when the supervisor that you're facing is the London head of audit. Yeah. Do you know, do you know what I mean? The, the supervision yeah. questions that they're asking is about how are you applying coaching skills in our business to make it better at what we're meant to be good at. Yeah. It's, it's got quite a different dynamic to it, which I think is exciting. That, that I Thanks. absolutely agree. And it's a, putting the, 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 the business need, integrating the business need into the, into the coaching activity absolutely anchors it in the way in which the organization functions. So I can, I can see that. And that explains a great deal of why Grant Thornton is so good at it. Catherine. Yeah, um, that, that was really interesting, Sam. Thank you. And I know you have a big interest in the digital aspects of coaching. I mentioned at the top of the podcast uh, your book, How to Thrive as a Coach in a Digital World. I mean, how do you see these new tools and techniques applying to supervision? Yeah, so I think um, there's probably two broad ways that it will that will get um, pulled out into supervision as far as technology is concerned. Um, and one of those is through well, the, the simple capturing of data. So in I mentioned that little uh, hypothetical situation of an individual in L&D who owns all of coaching in their head. That's it's not uncommon, right? So <laughs> if in a mature environment, that individual will have a spreadsheet where they are recording the names of the coaches and maybe even who they're coaching. They might even know 
that they have had an initial coaching session or something like that. But it's quite unlikely that they're going to know how many sessions have happened across all of those different coaches and whether those conversations are still ongoing. You know, often then they sort of finish after, I don't know, two, three, four, one session. You just don't really know what's happening. It's not criticism, it's just observation. It's just one person can't do all of that themselves. As soon as you put a piece of technology in there that says, well, we're going to manage that process. And so all of the coaches profiles, for example, could appear on that platform and all of the coaches will then get matched across and you're sort of tracking your sessions. Then that individual goes from being somebody who has to maintain their spreadsheet and matches coaches based on who they had a conversation with most recently. It turns into, well, we could automate that process. Um, and match people a little bit more well responsively to coachee's needs we become a coachee led process where a coachee can browse the profiles choose a coach and maybe even book a session live the that individual in lnd doesn't even have to be involved unless there's some some sort of approval process needed what that does for supervision is it gives an important data input that says oh well these people have been coaching this number of different people with these sorts of roles and you don't need to break confidentiality or anything but by restoring but by storing things like coaching goals in the system and maybe aligning those to corporate values or any strategic goals or something like that then you're able to draw out this theme of it seems that in your coaching sessions you're coaching everybody about their well-being now maybe that's indicative of as an organization, that's an issue that people need a lot of coaching around, or it might be that everybody else seems to be coaching about all sorts of different things. And for you, you just seem to cotton on to this, something about well-being. Well, I know how to coach about that, so I'll dive down that rabbit hole. And maybe that's a good piece of insight to bring. Yeah. So, sorry, sounds, the way I've positioned that sounded quite directive, you know, this is what we should be doing. But, you know, the concept I think is there. Yeah, gathering information. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's, that's good, isn't it? You know, more information, more accurate information into a supervision session changes it from being pure perception. Although the difference between perception and truth is uh, an interesting one to play with. Um, Another podcast, but I like the sound of it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, carry on. The, and then the second way to apply technology is then sort of live in the supervision conversation itself to enhance it and change it from being a pure face-to-face conversation. And just for clarity, you know, the face-to-face conversation is where the value is. So I think that sometimes then you use a piece of technology and the technology is the thing that's doing the coaching and the coach is sort of sitting there as a passenger who will become, I don't know, the driver somehow, you know, becomes technical support rather than a coach. I'm not a big fan of that. But I think some pieces of technology that are particularly creative and generate something in the moment. So um, I can't remember if I mentioned this to you previously or not. I've certainly told some people about it. Magnetic poetry. When I was a kid, then I had a little box of words that I could stick on the fridge and make little nonsense poems with. Well, you can do that digitally. Go on to, I think it's magneticpoetry.com, and you can play the game online. And so if you share your screen with a a, uh, coach in a supervision session, and you've got just a bunch of random words and you can say, come on then, coach, write me a poem using these words that summarizes your coaching practice as it currently is. And then let's just just see what happens. It's going to be a unique poem in the moment. It's going to mean nothing at all. 
but for that session it's going to carry a lot of meaning and is going to sort of break yeah. th- those sort of cognitive processes that go on and get in our way sometimes and that for me feels like an exciting and fun way to enhance our coaching that's using technology to its best without detracting from it. I mean, it sounds like a great thing to introduce into supervision, but you're you're obviously quite, you know know about all sorts of lovely digital, exciting things. Uh, Do you share it with the other supervisors? So I mean, is is the use of interesting sort of digital possibilities um, shared with the other supervisors within Grant Thornton, or is it something that you tend to do just yourself? So we've got a, a Microsoft Teams channel, and so we share some ideas on there. And that could be anything from you know, an article that we've seen that looks interesting or or anything like that. And I have shared you know, some tools and I've demonstrated them in different places. Um, I think it's good to keep on top of technology because there's a tendency for organizations to adopt technology and then you've got individuals within that organization that are quicker than others to adopt that for themselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, Teams is a good example, actually, where I know there's a move in a lot of organizations to try to take communication away from email and put it onto Teams for all sorts of good, positive reasons. Mm-hmm. And of course, those that are most used to email are the ones that are are trying to disrupt that. So everything, if you put something on Teams, then they will shift it to an email to reply to it because they want everything stored in their email inbox because that's what I've done for the last 20 years. Mm. Um, and so no judgment on those people. You know, we're all humans. We don't like change. But as a supervisor, you're going to have coaches that are at different points in that sort of adoption journey And in order to generate the right level of rapport with them, you need to be flexible enough to use technology on their terms. And so as supervisors, we've kind of got a responsibility to... No, it's their preferences. That's right. And and to keep up to date with the technology so that... Here you go. You know, these two real examples that have happened. I've had people where I've had a Zoom conversation with them and it's their Zoom and I try to share my screen and I can't because they're the host and they need to enable screen sharing. And... I don't use Zoom as my primary. I'm much more used to Teams. And so I don't really know where the button is. And either they are such a whiz kid at Zoom that they will do it so quickly that I don't really know what's happening. And that makes me feel a little bit discombobulated. (laughs) Or they are actually less competent at Zoom than I am. And therefore, that simple process of just going allow screen sharing becomes this very slow frustrating action that then breaks any sort of momentum that we had in our conversation and by the time that i've got the ability to share my screen i've forgotten what i wanted to share and in a supervision session you want it to be just a nice smooth human experience and so if the other person is slower then we need to slow down to sort of match their pace as far as the technology is concerned so that rapport isn't broken and if they're really good we sort of need to be prepared to not frustrate them with our slowness um yeah so there you go sorry that's one of my little high horses that i get on but um yes it's interesting and i think we should do more about it very good so you share it anyway with other supervisors so it sounds as the jury might be still out about the extent to which they actually deploy what you've been sharing yes yeah, so th- there is within grant thornton there's no sort of mandated 
or even heavily suggested this is a good tool to use in your supervision. I think there are some organizations where they they have a particular preference for a particular sort of technology that they will use specifically to do coaching with. And for me, and I think it's fair to say for Grant Thornton as a whole, to say, you know, you should be using I'm t- constellations you know there's a you know the systemic yeah. constellations tool there's yeah. a digi- digital version of that it's a good tool right They're very helpful but to mm-hmm. say to coaches or, or to supervisors you know th- this is the tool that we would like you to use in supervision it suddenly restricts every sort of conversation into being the same approach yes no, i understand you're treating them as adults basically you're making an offer you're offering stuff to them but it's up to them how they deal with it yeah, yeah. I, I do love the sound of, of the sorts of things that you've been um identifying i must say Great. you've issued a yeah. challenge to me sam about keeping up with technology um I, i'm feeling already feeling totally inferior so i'm gonna have to work hard at it i'm afraid <laughs> Uh, so, but fascinating, all fascinating. So, um, it, it's been some wonderful insights today. Thank you very much for that. Uh, I'm hoping that our listeners have learned about internal supervision in this podcast, and uh, hopefully they'll let us they'll let us know we're we're organising that, which Catherine will uh, tell you about. Catherine, what have you learned more than anything else from Sam today? Well, there were, I think there are two bits I was particularly impressed by. I mean, I was really impressed by the degree to which supervision has penetrated Grant Thornton. Um, To have regular supervision of the supervisors feels like real three Michelin star stuff. Um, And, you know, a a great thing to to, to try to deploy in other organisations as well, and I hope they do. Um, But I'm also really interested in the role of the apprenticeship scheme um, in the development of coaching within Grant Thornton. Uh, I think many organisations could benefit from exploring their options there so thank you for telling us more about that yeah i'm with you all the way on that in in terms of the uh, supervision of supervisors <laughs> it's something that um in the independent world of, of supervision it's perhaps uh, a little easier to do uh, inside an organization where time is so difficult to organize it's you know it, it's i think it's quite a feat to be to be doing that and to be doing so much supervision that um Actually, you can't remember how many times you've done it in a year. I, that's really impressed me. That's, I mean, that's something else. Uh, and and that final challenge to me personally of um, I've got to keep up. You know, I've got to keep up with this younger generation that is uh, teaching me how to use technology. Um, that's a big challenge, which I'm 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 not going to say I'm happy to uh, rise to, but I am determined to rise to. So thank you very much for issuing it. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the EMCC UK. Together, our aim is to promote good practice and the expectation of good practice in coaching, mentoring and supervision across Europe. To learn more about the EMCC UK and to find out about membership, accreditation, events, CPD opportunities and learning resources, visit emccuk.org. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a future episode.